You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You don't just live in your home. You live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. T-I-K-A dot com. Yeah, I mean, you think about these barrels here, each one of those barrels, you know, that's uh, that's a thousand bottles of whiskey right there. So in those four or five barrels over there. You've got this beautiful distillery. I'm looking at a sort of tractor-like oh, thing. Oh, this tractor's awesome. We just got this about six months ago. You got ago. cool Let's, toys. You got... We got tractors, got trucks. Liquor public. that you make. Yeah. Uh, does this help take your mind off oh yeah this is of the crazy yeah because you know if if, the, if there's an actual QAnon apocalypse I have a lot of liquid gold that I can use as barter <laughs> no it's <laughs> as you can hear Denver Riggleman makes whiskey he's got a craft distillery in Afton Virginia a small rural community about a three hour drive from where I live in Washington, D.C. At one time in my life, I'd have said I was a fan of what Denver produces. Now that I'm one year sober, not so much. But I'm still a fan of his. Denver is a former representative for Virginia's 5th Congressional District. He served one term, then lost his re-election. I don't know if there's anybody inside D.C. who likes me right now, Democrats or Republicans. But out here, everybody loves me. They love me because they're like, you don't give a shit. Like, fucking Denver, man. He don't give a shit. Have a bourbon. Denver used to be more popular in D.C., at least in the Republican Party. There was a time when he was a rising star in the House of Representatives, but that faded the moment he started talking about QAnon. Now, there's lots of people who talk about QAnon, even in Congress. A disturbing number, actually. What got Denver canceled by the Freedom Caucus and other Republicans was that he started talking about the dangers of that conspiracy movement and its ties to leaders on the far right, all the way to President Trump. I caught up with another person who fled town after the Trump administration, Stephanie Grisham, who was also once a popular figure in Republican Washington. She was the White House communications director, defending the president by attacking his enemies, including me, at one point. 
Stephanie got further away from Washington than Denver did. She now lives a 20-hour drive from the nation's capital in a little one-stoplight town in the middle of Kansas, appropriately called Plainville. It's pretty far, but it's worth the trip. And we had lunch at a place called Burgers and Beer, where we reminisced about our good times together. I was always like, he's a cow. He should put his name to this book of lies. You can't make that stuff up. <laughs> Miles Taylor is a total treasonous coward. And it was <laughs> so great to listen to that on a loop. And then we had this awesome conversation. Stephanie was one of the members of the White House staff to resign in protest after the insurrection on January 6th. Since then, she's been warning the country about the dangers she sees if another Trump-like leader retakes the White House. And so, we have more in common now, and we've gotten to be friends. People like Stephanie Grisham and Denver Riggleman aren't your traditional whistleblowers. Many even say they were complicit in what happened in the Trump years. But ever since breaking ranks with Trump, they've put themselves on the front lines of a fight against conspiracy movements consuming the most radical wing of the Republican Party. This outspokenness didn't just get them pushed out of Washington. Like many others, they got driven further away. Into the wilderness. I'm Miles Taylor, and this is The Whistleblowers. On this show, we're going deep into the heart of power to meet people who spoke out about wrongdoing from inside the Trump administration. In this final episode, we are talking to two dissenters from the heart of the Republican Party, stalwart conservatives who really believed in making America great again, but who paid a price for saying that its leaders weren't so great. Episode 8. The call is coming from inside the White House. For a brief moment in time, Republicans loved Virginian distillery owner and Air Force veteran Denver Riggleman. He was more or less drafted to run for Congress in 2018 by the Freedom Caucus, the far right side of the party. President Trump and his allies were big supporters. In that moment, Republicans held control of the White House, the Senate, and the U.S. House. It was a good time to be an aspiring conservative. I got a call saying, you know, I was a Denver, you're a senior consultant at the Pentagon. Your background is perfect. You probably don't have a chance to win, but would you at least get in for a committee vote? Denver's background is kind of perfect on paper. He served in the Air Force for 15 years, so he's pro-military. He's a fan of expanding gun rights. His distillery business makes him against red tape regulation, and he's tough on illegal immigration. So... Denver gets the endorsement from President Trump, and he wins. At first, all goes according to plan. I was a good fundraiser, did really well, raised a lot of money. And I know that's how it works. God, Miles, I know, I get it. I knew how to win. I knew I had to pay off my committee members, make sure Trump was happy, you know, go around and make sure I glad hand with the leadership. I was the balance between leadership and the Freedom Caucus and all these other caucuses and be that guy, take some for the team, allow me to vote independently every now and then. That whole voting independently every now and then, Denver starts to realize that's not a thing. 
I found that it had nothing to do with policy in my votes. It was complete loyalty to the president. I remember an individual I really like coming to me and said, you have pissed off the big man too much. You need to throttle back. When they tell you you piss off the big man, there's no way I should be poking the eye of the president of the United States because of the all-powerful presence that he had. This starts to change Denver's mind about his new friends on Capitol Hill. My respect for, I would say, the far-right caucus just started to plummet because I thought either they had IQ limiters, right? They've been huffing glue, right? Or, you know, if they really believe this stuff, it's awful. He really crosses the line when he votes to stop a government shutdown. And at that point, I was told that I would have an opponent. And I remember Mark Meadows coming up to me and saying, you're going to lose, you're done. At the time, Congressman Mark Meadows was the powerful chair of the House Freedom Caucus. And quote, having an opponent means the party is going to find someone to challenge Denver in the next Republican primary. Someone who's a little less of a free thinker, more willing to vote the party line. And Denver then digs himself into a deeper hole. Not only the ramifications of that vote, but the same-sex wedding and then voting not to get rid of pre-existing conditions. He officiates a same-sex wedding in Virginia between two friends, then votes in favor of a House bill to protect the health care of Americans with pre-existing conditions. Neither position is popular with conservatives. But Denver believes he's been elected by the voters of Virginia's 5th District to, you know, represent them. I have a rural district, right? 65% rural. Seven of the 17 federally funded community health centers are in my district. So you're looking at Republicans that are older, that if I went against pre-existing conditions, they would lose their health care. What people don't understand is some of the people that are benefiting the most from the ACA are poor Republicans. And again, he takes a beating. I got my face ripped off. He means both in Congress, but also online. He's seen attacks about him across social media before, but after the gay wedding and the Affordable Care Act vote, the attacks escalate. And the accusations are different, too. They're honestly kind of bizarre. That was being funded by George Soros. I was a pedophile. The fact that I'm being called general of the sodomite armies is a little weird. And that's why I was first on the scene against QAnon, because I was the first to get hit with it. At the core of the QAnon movement is a group of far-right conspiracy theorists who believe a deep state, a secret cabal of people, pulls all the strings of political power in Washington, and that many of them are sex abusers, running secret pedophile rings. The theory originated on fringe message boards in early 2017, but quickly spread across mainstream social media and began gaining a foothold in the minds of ordinary Americans. Soon, its toxic influence began to seep into Congress, too. I knew QAnon existed on the periphery. I'd seen the hats and the pins at some of my committee meetings, but I'm like, what the, what the hell is that, right? This QAnon thing seems to be picking up momentum, and there are signs it has a violent edge, like when one follower of QAnon buys into the conspiracy theory that a pizza restaurant in D.C. is actually a cover for a child sex ring run by Democrats. He drives all the way from North Carolina to investigate and fires a rifle inside, threatening employees. Thankfully, no one is hurt. But when Denver starts raising concerns about QAnon's influence, his colleagues are not all that interested. In fact, some of them are caught up in a lot of similar theories. I would go into committee meetings and they would say that the 14th Amendment, that uh, that was there to destroy white people. 
It got to the point that it was this racist, messianic, apocalyptic, overwhelming type of tidal wave that I was fighting every step of the way. Rather than encouraging Denver to vote his conscience, GOP congressional leaders expect loyalty to Trump. And rather than supporting Denver's concerns about QAnon's accusations, he finds the caucus either indifferent or actually supportive of the theories. If you believe it, you're nuts. If you're pandering to that, you're devious. And you're willing to hurt other people to forge your career. I had personal issues this automatic assumption that I was just one of this band of individuals that had to to really kiss ass to move anywhere in the legislative body. I'm just not going to invest in breath mints and do that. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great tasting all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. True to their word, the party backs a challenger for Denver's House seat in the 2020 primary. That challenger Denver has to face is Bob Good. He's a staunch opponent of same-sex marriage who attacks Denver for officiating his friend's wedding, saying he's, quote, out of step with the party. He's also got some interesting ideas about the COVID situation. This is a phony pandemic. It's a serious virus, but it's a virus. It's not a pandemic. It's great to see your faces. You stand up against tyranny. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for saying no to the insanity. So Denver starts to feel like getting reelected is really important. And he suddenly faces 
a very tough decision. Trump endorses me for my reelect. I was going to turn it down. My consultants come around me. They're like, listen, you're going against a guy who's batshit crazy. You've got to accept this endorsement because if you don't, there's no way you can win ever. And you're going to allow somebody this nuts to win, right? I got to tell you what, Miles, I lose sleep. I accepted it with the simple fact that I knew that the guy I was going against was awful. Denver has his doubts about accepting the president's endorsement. And the GOP is clearly having doubts about Denver, too. But he thinks that losing his seat to Bob Good would only make things worse. So, for a time anyway, he tries to toe the party line. He begrudgingly accepts the endorsement with the hopes he'll be reelected. I said, with the endorsement, maybe I can stop this person from representing the 5th District. I think that's the only way I can stop this tidal wave of shit. And by the way, if I had to go back in time, I would have refused the endorsement. I made a mistake. If Denver's worried about Bob Good and the less reality-based members of his caucus, he's actually stunned when, in the spring of 2020, the president himself starts retweeting QAnon content. And then the gloves are off. When he started retweeting that Biden killed SEAL Team 6 is when I really started to get vocal. This was the theory that as vice president, Joe Biden ordered the executions of the SEAL Team 6 members who led the raid against Osama bin Laden. The conspiracy claims that the raid was botched and bin Laden was not actually killed. So Biden ordered the deaths of the SEALs involved to cover up the truth. Trump's tweet gives the lie extensive airtime with QAnon followers retweeting that the president has confirmed their intel. When I saw that tweet thread, I went to the actual YouTube video, and there was 1.7 million viewers watching that. I was pissed, and I'm throwing stuff in my office. Like, I hate this. I'm like, this is wrong. But I started to push the envelope a little bit. That's when I had the first tweets that QAnon has the same number of letters as moron. This does not go over well. When I called that out, I will tell you, that's it. That was it for me. Voting against the party on pre-existing conditions is one thing. And who knows, maybe voters in Virginia's 5th District were supportive. Officiating a same-sex marriage? Not a popular move. But speaking out against President Trump's favorite online MAGA fanboys? That is a bridge too far. All I had to do was pledge complete fealty. I had to apologize for the gay wedding and that I had to listen to the committees on how to vote on the floor. I refuse to do those three things. Denver's outspokenness costs him. He loses the Republican primary to pandemic denier Bob Good, who claims it's a victory for, quote, the nation's founding Judeo-Christian principles. I lose sleep over the guy that's now the 5th District Representative. And I'll tell you, Miles, it is my fault, but it was my fault sort of willingly. I refuse to play the game in that way. By the fall of 2020, with the clock running down on his time in Congress, Denver will not shut up about the dangers of QAnon. He co-sponsors a U.S. House resolution, condemning QAnon and rejecting the conspiracy theories that it promotes. And he speaks about it on the floor of the House of Representatives. QAnon believers have accused me of running a pedophilia ring for Israel. The grotesque nature of the tweets and Instagram posts and the anti-Semitic tripe should cause concern for everyone. I condemn this movement and urge all of my fellow members to join me in taking this step to exclude them and other extreme conspiracy theories from the national discourse. He's joined by only one other Republican to openly condemn QAnon. 
Meanwhile, Trump continues to retweet QAnon theories. And when questioned about the movement, he says, quote, I've heard these are people that love our country. Denver goes on Jake Tapper's show on CNN and blasts the president, only weeks before the election. That's the kind of things that we cannot do. It's about the disintegration of really the trust that we have and being able to talk to each other sort of in government circles and have this dialogue that's not based on the insanity of things like QAnon. I remember warning one individual and he goes, listen, Denver, you're a neurotic intelligence officer and you're completely wrong that this could ever go violent. When Joe Biden wins in November and Trump begins his Stop the Steal campaign, Denver sees how the violent rhetoric of the online world could easily spill out into real life. I absolutely stated unequivocally that there was going to be something violent, something kinetic that we couldn't even imagine based on the disinformation language we were saying. And I hated to be validated, Miles. If everybody said, Denver, you were wrong, I would have taken being wrong. I was pointing out the facts and the data, right? I'm like, this is evil. We've now crossed the line of complete radicalization. And a president that's either off his meds or who has no conscience at all and no moral boundaries, right, to what he was doing. I got a huge collective shrug. That was it. Or you're pissing off the big man. I think we know what happens next. On January 6th, 2021, protesters, many of whom had been radicalized online by movements like QAnon, stormed the Capitol. Five people die, and Denver's replacement in the House, Congressman Bob Good, is one of the 147 Republicans who vote against certifying the election results. I think so many of those individuals on January 6th actually thought our country was under attack and they were doing the right thing. And that's what I think people need to realize. And that's just the people who are willing to do violence. If you're looking at everybody else that's involved, everybody else all the way down to the local Republican committees that are putting out flyers or fundraising off the election was stolen. I mean, it's all, it's there. It's a chilling culmination of everything Denver has witnessed during his time in Congress. But January 6th also becomes an opportunity for other Republicans to break ranks, to say enough is enough, even the very people working down the hallway from Trump, like Stephanie Grisham. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today 
at purdueglobal.edu. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Let's see how long it's going to take to get there. Hey Siri, directions to Plainville, Kansas. Getting directions to Plainville. All right. Four and a half hours. Stephanie Grisham served in the Trump White House for all four years. First in the office of First Lady Melania Trump, and then as one of the president's closest aides. It was a dream come true for her. But by the end, it was the kind of dream you wake up from in a cold sweat. By the time she resigned on January 6th, 2021, she was ready to get as far away from Washington, D.C. as possible. Stephanie Grisham former White House communications director picked the middle of fucking nowhere to move after she left the Trump administration. I'm using her words, by the way, not mine. Stephanie was President Trump and the First Lady's spin master and an unapologetic one. So why isn't she doing something today like leading comms for Trump's social media platform, Truth Social, or firing off press releases from Mar-a-Lago. It says I'm three minutes away. It doesn't feel like I'm three minutes away from anything. I'm still in the middle of cornfields. <laughs> so, got a gas station. Tom's welding. There appears to be one stoplight. I decided that finding out an answer to that question was worth taking two planes and driving four and a half hours to ask her myself. I'll do like hash browns and one egg. I only need one egg. How would you like to cook? Uh, over easy. No toast or anything? No. Okay. I'll take coffee. If you had told me this back in 2019, that I'd be sitting at a place called Burgers and Beer in Plainville with Stephanie and her sister, I would have said, probably not. That was the year I published my book, A Warning, still as anonymous. When the book came out, it was essentially Stephanie's job to go after anyone who was critical of the president. And I thought she did it 
with a disturbing amount of zeal. Whoever wrote the anonymous book is a coward. All across government, the president has been saying, and I think it's been proven time and again, there are obstructionists all across this government uh, who are working against the president. That clip from Fox and Friends was pretty typical. Stephanie certainly sounds like a true believer. And she was. She had been with President Trump since the start of the campaign, when she first saw him do his thing on the rally circuit. Watching him speak, like, I was... I was mesmerized. I was not mesmerized necessarily by him, but the people in the audience were just into it. And the cheers, and they really liked him. And I had never seen such a crowd. I really hadn't. And I had done all these Romney rallies. And so at that moment, I was like, I'm in. I'm sticking with him. This is fun. Stephanie was living in Arizona and had worked on Mitt Romney's presidential campaign. She was then spokesperson for Arizona's Attorney General, Tom Horn, and the Republican caucus in the statehouse. She joins Trump's team as a press aide. It's like nothing she's ever seen before. We were doing like five events a day or something, and this one day we were running so behind. And our last event of the day was in a fucking, like a barn somewhere in like Appalachia. And we were literally three hours late. So by the time we got to this barn, I think it was like one in the morning, and we walked in and the place was packed. People were on the floor sleeping. And we, I walked in and I was like, my God, like, this is a movement. This is not normal. And that's when I knew, I was like, he's going to win. Washington insiders, the media, they didn't see it until election night. And the press was like, what? What? And the mood started to take, it just took this turn. You could feel it in the room. There was just this like, oh my gosh, did we just do this? The Trump campaign team entering the White House can't help but feel defiant, ready to prove wrong all the critics who ever doubted them. I think our mindset was like, you all told us we were terrible. Y'all, you know, made fun of us. And now here we are. And fuck y'all. Right away, Stephanie is folded into the transition team. And it's a heady time. Like I said, a dream come true. One day, Sean Spicer called. He was going to be press secretary. And he asked if I would be a deputy press secretary, which had always been like a dream of mine. I even kept a picture of the White House in my office all the time, everywhere I worked, to remind myself of my goal. So when he offered me deputy press secretary, I was like... Yes, oh my gosh. I watched West Wing. I was convinced I'd be C.J. Craig. Lots of girls probably wanted to be C.J. Craig, the White House press secretary played by the incomparable Allison Janney on NBC's The West Wing. I mean, nobody could tell it like it is, like her. My trouble with your spin is that we're not going to get anywhere putting on a calm face. We need to pick a fight. Why? Because in politics, if you're not on offense, you're on defense. I'd be like pithy and funny at the podium, you know. I've had a goldfish and date a reporter secretly. Like, I knew I'd be hurt. Turns out, being deputy press secretary under Sean Spicer is not actually like being C.J. Craig at all. In the first press briefing, Spicer, at the behest of the new president, lies about the crowd size at the inauguration and is humiliated all over cable news. And spicy, as he was called on SNL, 
is too focused on not making Trump angry to develop much of a working relationship with his deputy. I was not in any meetings. He literally had me taking the press in and out of the Oval, in and out of the cabinet room. Trump really liked me. Always, he'd see me come in, he'd call me over, he'd ask me who was being nice, you know, he'd ask me how things are playing. I was like, oh my gosh, here I am with this awesome job title, but I'm not doing anything. But nine months in, she gets a different opportunity. She's tapped by the East Wing of the White House to be chief of staff and press secretary for First Lady Melania Trump. It was like nirvana. We came in at like 8.39, whereas before I'd be in the West Wing at 7 a.m., roll out of there at 4.30. Everyone was beautiful and dressed so beautiful. Throughout the next two years working for the First Lady, Stephanie is shielded from most of the insanity. The travel ban, Charlottesville, family separation, the Michael Cohen controversy. The list goes on and on. She's fully aware of what's happening. But in the East Wing, your job is to protect the First Lady, to put out statements about her initiatives, and to make her look good. When you're working then in the East Wing, people, including the press, are like more forgiving of you. Well, you work for Melania. Well, okay, she has she puts out statements kind of against her own husband. She is not for kids in cages, as it was talked about. I think that I had gotten in a place that, again, we were very confident, cocky. It was terrible with how much power we had because Trump just always wanted to keep Melania happy. But in June of 2019, then-Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders resigns. And Trump decides that, in addition to still working with Melania, Stephanie should replace Sanders and take on the role of White House Communications Director. So, she's back in the belly of the beast, and then some. I had such reservations about taking the press secretary job, and my gut kept telling me, don't do it, don't do it. I just knew it would be bad, but I also was like, this is my dream. I will be able to say I reached my goal my whole life. This is what I wanted to do, you know? Every other politician now hates you because you work for Trump, so you're never going to probably be at the White House again. I would still work for Mrs. Trump. It was because I was so against working just for him, and I thought that she would, you know, keep me protected and that I would be able to call her when he wanted to do real crazy stuff. Magical thinking was just the norm in this White House. One word comes to mind, it's just pathetic, and I would just remind Mitt Romney that he is not president. It's hard for me to actually hear the word Republican and Mitt Romney in the same sentence. That's Stephanie on Fox Business, bashing her former boss, Mitt Romney, for not falling in line during Trump's first impeachment. This is her job now. And here she is on Fox and Friends, running down the White House press pool while defending her decision not to hold press briefings. He's his own best spokesperson, it's, it's true, and also he's the most accessible president in history. And to be honest, the briefings had become a lot of theater, and I think that a lot of reporters were doing it to... Get uh, famous. They get were. famous. They really I were. mean, yeah, they're writing books now. I mean, they're all getting famous off of this presidency. When my former boss, General John Kelly, left the administration and made the mistake of saying something critical about the president, he got the Stephanie treatment, too. She told CNN, quote, I worked with John Kelly, and he was totally unequipped to handle the genius of our great president, unquote. Yeah, it sounds like something out of Pyongyang, North Korea, not Washington. Stephanie transforms herself 
into a voracious defender of President Trump. She spins for him, blocks the media from talking to him, and attacks anyone who questions his agenda. But behind closed doors, she's starting to find that the job is hell. I immediately started to regret it right when I got there because it's so stupid because you knew of all the chaos going on. You read the stories of everybody, you know, biting each other in the back and sniping each other. and what. But then you got in there and you saw it and I had Jared constantly overriding me. I had people maneuvering. I had Peter Navarro bothering me every other day. I'm seeing his anger more and more. Trump's anger, that is because she spends a lot of time with him. I started taking anti-anxiety drugs when I went back to the West Wing pretty, pretty darn quick. So I would wake up, I would watch the news, I would be on Twitter, and then he would come down. And from that moment on, my day was done. Like, it was like I had to be in the Oval or in the dining room. I wasn't getting any work done. I was just watching TV with him. It's all-consuming. You just have to be there to, like, make him happy and tell him how great he was all day. And then the weekends, he would call me every weekend. And I remember every weekend being so uptight, waiting for his morning call. And the minute the operator would call, I would be on Twitter and like frantically looking at Twitter while I'm waiting to be connected so that I could know what was happening. The anxiety was, though, on those weekends, which Trump are you going to get? Some mornings it was like, Hey, darling, hey, how are you? How's the plan? Okay. And some days it would be like, what the fuck? Where the fuck are people? Why aren't you on TV? Screaming at you. This is plenty bad on its own, but for Stephanie, it also dredges up old feelings. Going back to some of my childhood stuff that I don't really talk about, but I dealt with a lot of abuse from uh, a man when I was growing up, and I think that that kind of triggered me. I had no idea, but I've had a lot of therapy since the White House. Stephanie's experience is different from a lot of other people we've talked to for this show. It's not the policies Trump has enacted or the administration's efforts to skirt the law. These are not the things that change her mind. It's the man himself. She gets to know Donald Trump in a way that few people do. And she's terrified by what she sees. It is a cycle of abuse because his anger is so swift and so severe and so mean. I feel like a snowflake saying that he's mean. It's it's not, it's cruel. All you do is you wanna make that version of that monster go away. And that's what abuse is, right? It was awful. And so my anxiety got really bad, really, really bad. But despite all of that, she stays in the job, attacking the president's enemies and promoting his talking points. You don't want to admit to the people who told you, don't do this, he's bad, or whatever. That's the other part of it, your pride. You're still like, oh, I don't want to tell. So that's another part of like, it's fine, it's fine. So when does it become not fine? When it really started to turn, and not for the reason you would think. I know I'm supposed to say COVID started to turn because we... We fucked it up, which we did. When Meadows came in and Mick and his team left, you know, things went really downhill for me. In March of 2020, Mark Meadows replaces Mick Mulvaney as White House Chief of Staff. 
and Meadows has no qualms about placating the president's every need and inclination, no matter how bad. And he's more than willing to throw people under the bus. Suddenly, for the first time ever, I was getting bad press stories leaked about me. I went back to the East Wing, and that's actually when I started commuting here to Plainville. I was so far removed from the election. I really was. And I was already like, I'm done at the end of this. I had already made that. That was my plan. People all think that I would still have stayed. Fuck no. No, I was done. I knew I would never go back. I was a mess. I came here and I was a mess. When the whole stop the steal was happening, I was just like, of course that's what we're doing. Like at that point, I was so jaded. I was only loyal to Mrs. Trump. I was staying for her, and that is all I cared about. Everything else I did my best to, like, either drink away or just ignore, because at that point, like, my mental health was really suffering, really bad. All of us here today do not want to see our election victory stolen by emboldened radical left Democrats, which is what they're doing, and stolen by the fake news media. That's what they've done and what they're doing. We will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. You don't concede when there's theft involved. I had a bad feeling just because it was the rally and, and he was so angry and stuff. But I certainly didn't know what was going to happen. And I remember I had the TV on and I was listening to him at the rally. And I remember being like, dude, like, why are you, why are you needlessly doing this? This is so not healthy for the country. And then when everything started to happen at the Capitol, I sent Mrs. Trump a text and said, do you want to put a statement out? Basically saying, like, you have the right to, to protest, but it needs to be peaceful. It was not political at all. It was truly just a, hey, everybody, let's calm down and be peaceful. And she just wrote back, no. That's it. The First Lady does what her husband does best. She lies. Now she has said she had no idea what was happening and that it's my fault because I didn't brief her as her chief of staff, which is just bullshit. Like, she knew everything that was going on all the time. There was always a TV on. I think it just all came to a crash to see it so vividly. I think it felt like I was watching my own self burn down. She's one of the leading staffers in the administration who resigns that very day. I resigned. I sent her an email like five, ten minutes later, and I resigned, and I CC'd a senior advisor of hers so that I couldn't take it back. She sent me a really nice text that said, you know, I'm sorry to get your email, I value your friendship, and she has never spoken to me again. Stephanie moves to Plainville permanently, but it's not really over for her. I felt so safe here that that was nice, but... I still was, like, riddled with anxiety. But then when I decided to go forward with the book, I thought it would just be more therapy for me than anything, like write it down. I processed a lot of feelings, and, like, I remembered a lot of stuff where I was like, well, that was fucked up of me, and I realized that I, I too, was pretty fucked up a lot of the times. And so that's when I decided, you know, I'm not going to, like, just blame everybody else, you know, and be a victim. I'm going to also own kind of my part in it. Stephanie's book 
I'll Take Your Questions Now, is one of the first books published from a true MAGA insider who defected from the movement. And she doesn't hold back. She shares damaging revelations, but also, unlike some others from the administration who wrote books in the aftermath, she doesn't shy away from her own role. Predictably, the MAGA crowd goes after her. Did you know before it went live? Did you have a sense of the whole force of the MAGA side is going to come after me now? Yeah, because I used to do it to people. One thing we were really good at was destroying people who went against us, and I was part of that. So I knew. I was prepared. I did it to people myself. She also appears before the January 6th committee. On MSNBC, host Nicole Wallace recounts Stephanie's testimony about Trump's behavior during the insurrection. He was sitting in the dining room and he was just watching it all unfold. Some of his comments were that these people looked very trashy, but also look at what fighters they were. He loved how they were fighting for him. The media is kind of skeptical about all of this. Joy Behar on The View summed it up for a lot of people. These people who are now all like recovering addicts, Mm -hmm. recovering addicts in in the the Trump world that come on, even on this show, they come on this show, they go on other shows and they're suddenly turning on on Trump. Where were you all that time when he was talking about grabbing women? It's just disgraceful. We're on to all of them. I just feel like I am a person who has complete inside intimate knowledge of this man, his psyche, the things that motivate him. I've seen it, and I just feel like I have a responsibility to educate people about who he is. I want people to know who he is behind the scenes. So I just, yeah, I feel a responsibility, I think, because it will be so much worse if he gets in there again. So much worse. Power couple Peter Baker and Susan Glasser were two of the many journalists who were stonewalled by Trump's press operation. I asked them what they thought about Stephanie's journey. There are no heroes in this story. And Stephanie Grisham is an example. Uh, Arguably, her, her place in White House history will be as the White House press secretary who never gave a single press conference. Uh, not exactly a badge of honor, a badge of glory. And yet, there's this interesting argument. Is it ever too late to do the right thing. She was there for three and a half years, not complaining, at least publicly, about anything, and then at the end, breaks with him. And yet, I think, by breaking with him and then trying to explore it and understand herself and how she did this in her book, and to then bear witness, in effect, to what she saw, you know, she's a very human story. There's there's something rather remarkable about that, to try to, to... rethink your life, to rethink your choices, and to say, I did something that I'm not proud of anymore, and I'm willing to say it out loud. It strikes me that Grisham, who then also produced a a memoir and went public with her concerns, including some very, very damaging stories to both Trump and uh, Melania Trump, that she is an example that people should study of, like, how is it that those who didn't have any particular... uh, ideological reason to do so, you know, didn't even particularly like Donald Trump, gets sucked into doing something so wrong. 
The dissenters within the Republican Party have, in fact, been consigned to the furthest reaches of American politics, if they're even in American politics anymore. That is the story writ large of the Trump presidency, is a story of his domination not over the country. He was never supported by 51% of Americans on any day in his presidency. And yet, his domination of the Republican Party was remarkable in, in purging dissenters, in marginalizing them, in demonizing them. He has an innate understanding, an instinctual understanding that the threat from within was always the potentially the, the biggest one. And so that was always the kind of apostasy that he needed to punish the most, that, that of somebody like Stephanie Grisham. The party has closed ranks around this idea discouraging anyone who dissents from the status quo from a political future. And they're also making sure to leave the outliers to fend for themselves when they come under attack. The message is basically, you're on your own. When I went to see Denver for his interview, he was under just such an attack. He had just learned he was being sued by a far-right paramilitary group for $50 million dollars. The group was incensed after Denver published his book, The Breach, about his work returning to Capitol Hill as a staffer on the January 6th Select Committee. He was part of the team investigating groups responsible for the attack on the Capitol. Crazy has so much more energy than sanity. And that's the thing is that sane people somewhere need to find the energy, you know, to match that type of crazy or that type of zealotry, you know, that's coming from certain groups. Such battles don't give Denver any appetite to return to politics. I would rather light myself on fire than run for office again. I've never seen such depravity. I think Congress is a disease right now. And the fact that the people that are going in there are the people that will do anything for power, and the talented people, the ones you want in public service, are looking over there like, do I want to swim in that sewer? Hell no. Stephanie doesn't want any part of the sewer either, but the sewer often comes to her. They're suing me, they still try to shop stories. So I definitely had moments of like, should I do this? Like, all my family's gonna see all this terrible stuff about me now. Is my family gonna be ashamed of me? Or, you know, are my kids gonna get threatened? Still, while they may be out of the Washington game, both Stephanie and Denver see some value, even power, in talking about their experience on a local level. Like when someone comes in for a bourbon at Denver's distillery. The people that come in here, I don't get angry. It's in my place. You're on my turf. So I can be kind and loving and and we can have really good discussions here. And and that one-on-one is how I get people. Me going on a CNN, MSNBC, Fox, BBC, doesn't turn anybody. Nobody gives a shit. Does me going on a show change one person? No. No, not one person. And I'm like, God, if I could just get with them and have a beer or a bourbon, I know I can turn them. There you go. So let's drink. Or over Bloody Marys at Burgers and Beer. I feel a responsibility. It's, and that's the thing. It's not fun. I'm not trying to be relevant. You just get shit on from both sides. It's, you know, you should have spoken out sooner. You should have done this. You should have done that. And and I think that's the hard part. And that's what I'm trying to figure out a way to do is explain to people the consequences. 
feel like my ultimate weapon is the truth now and me being authentic and being like, yeah, that happened. When we started this series, I was wrestling with my own issues around whistleblowing. Namely, whether I came forward soon enough and whether doing it anonymously was actually the right choice. I'm not going to lie. It was painful to relive that experience. Coming forward cost me a lot. A home, a job, close relationships, the security of my immediate family. I struggled with depression and substance abuse, something that I really never thought would happen and I definitely didn't think I would be talking about publicly. I don't say this for sympathy, but because what surprised me most about the conversations we had making this show was that just about every one of the people you've heard this season went through something similar. They were called liars, traitors, attention seekers, deep state hacks. Their careers suffered, their lives have been upended, all because they felt they had to say something. When I was in college, I took Econ 101, And you hear a lot about supply and demand. If the price of something is too high, there are basically two ways to lower it. You can decrease the demand or you can increase the supply. Now, when it comes to people speaking out, we need there to be demand. A demand for the truth. So if you want to lower the price people have to pay for stepping up and giving us that truth, we have to increase the supply. When more people are willing to say something about wrongdoing, the price, the consequence for them, it has to come down. But there's something else about the stories we heard making this show, something I personally find pretty inspiring. And that's the fact that almost no one we spoke to regrets what they did. They might have done it another way, but they're pretty clear that it needed to be done. And it had to be them, whatever the price. And that gives me some much-needed optimism. The Whistleblowers is a production of iHeart Podcasts in partnership with Best Case Studios and Arc Media. It was hosted by me, Miles Taylor, and written by me, Isabel Evans, and Adam Pincus. Isabel Evans is also our producer. Associate producers are Hannah Leibowitz-Lockhart and Ashley Warren. Darcy Peekle is consulting producer. Zach Herman is the VP of Development of Arc Media. This episode was edited by Daniel Turek, with assistance from Max Michael Miller. Original music is by James Newberry. Executive producers are me, Miles Taylor, Adam Pincus for Best Case Studios, and Barrett Goodman for Arc Media. Beth Ann Macaluso is our executive producer for iHeartMedia, along with Ali Perry. Special thanks to Kevin Pham, all of our contributors and interviewees, and our intern, Anna Levitt. And a big thanks to the teams at Government Accountability Project and Whistleblower Aid, two of the best organizations for government and private sector whistleblowers seeking legal support. Follow and rate The Whistleblowers on the podcast site of your choice. To hear what these whistleblowers and others have to say about what they believe will happen under a second Trump administration or in the White House of Amaga's successor, you can pick up my new book, Blowback, from Simon & Schuster.
You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.